But before we begin uh, with our scripture readings this morning, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And Lord, this morning, we come to you aware of how great you are. And Lord, how by comparison, uh, not with each other, but by comparison with you, we fall so far short. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the forgiveness we have in Jesus. And Lord, we pray that as we hear from your word this morning, that you would give us ears to hear. God, that we would be people who are eager to hear from you. Not just that we would know more or know more things or know better how to show somebody else they're wrong, but God, that we would know you better. That we would be those who are quick to be changed by you. You've told us that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be those who are uh, eager and ready and willing to be taught and rebuked and corrected and trained in righteousness at any moment when those are appropriate. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know I just, in uh, that prayer, kind of made it sound like you've got a tongue lashing coming. That is not at all what I intend. <laughs> but I do hope that we will be good students of, um, of the Word of God, that we will be attentive to what He has to say for us. And uh, this morning we'll begin with Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. It says, At that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was uh, in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Turning then to our New Testament reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us, as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as we uh, come to our sermon text this morning, um, 
this is a this is a weird passage uh, to just kind of start in with cold. And the reason why is this is we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 26. And uh, as we read Genesis chapter 26, it'll be really helpful if you have read uh, Genesis, you know, 1 through 25. <laughs> so I'll give you a moment if you haven't yet. All right, we all good now? Way to speed read that. No, but seriously, there's, uh, there's an awful lot that goes on that sets the stage for what takes place here. In fact, what takes place in Genesis chapter 26 doesn't make any sense apart from what has come before it. And so, uh, and particularly with, uh, we're going to be looking at a guy named Isaac, and the way in which God has worked with his dad, Abraham, has an awful lot to do with what's going on here. And so we're going to go ahead and read it, and if you aren't seeing connections to things that came before, I'll spell some of that out for you. If you have been uh, reading through Genesis uh, as we've been going through this book uh, for the last nine months or so, uh, eight months, you ought to pick up on an awful lot of this. But here we go. This is uh, Genesis chapter 26. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you, and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And will give them all these lands, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me, and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Let's pause right there for a second. Anybody notice any connection to anything that's come before? Yeah. That is exactly right. He told Abraham he'd make his descendants like the stars. Yes, if you look back at what God is saying to Isaac here, it's the same stuff. This is what he was saying to Abraham. And as we go through this, there's a lot of it that's like, why are we reading this again? We already read this. We know that God's going to do these things. But there's something different at this point. And here's what's different. When God made these promises to Abraham, he didn't have any kids yet. And when God made these promises to Abraham, uh, then he goes on and he has, well, Ishmael, which that was a whole other thing, but that's not the child that God had promised to give him. And so then he has Isaac, and God says, yes, this is the child I promised to give you. And then uh, we go on from there, and he, after his wife dies, he marries again and has lots of other kids. And so we already see, okay, maybe this is it. This is the fulfillment of God's promises. He's going to give him all these descendants but it's not a promise in general to all of them. In fact, God had said that it's going to be through Isaac. But now here we have this next generation. We have Isaac himself. Abraham has died. And now we, here we are in a time of famine. Just like there was in Abraham's time. And so the question for Isaac is the same question Abraham had, but now it's, a, it's another generation. Because every generation has to face things that came before for themselves. You know this in your own life, don't you? 
There are things that happened with your parents or with your grandparents that you have had to face again. And the question is, are you, did you learn from the mistakes of the people who came before? Or did you learn from the good example from the people that came before? I always said I loved being a second child um, because I had an older sister and I could let her make all the mistakes for me and then I could just learn from that. It's the easy way of doing it, right? So here we have Isaac in a time of famine and the question is, is he going to trust in God? And so he goes, where does he go? Did you catch where he went? He goes to, this is verse 1, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Did Abraham ever go to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar? Why, yes, he did. Well, this is very interesting. It's almost like like Isaac is replaying his dad's story. And he is now going through the same kind of stuff. And in fact, the way that the author of Genesis puts it before us, he wants to make sure we don't miss the connections. That this is very, very, very closely tied. That Isaac is walking in his father's footsteps, as it were. It's the same uh, story, but for a new generation. Isaac goes to the same place. God tells him, don't go to Egypt. Now, Abraham left the promised land twice. Once he went to Egypt. The other time he went to um, the land of the Philistines here in Gerar. And do you remember what he did both times he went there? Or both times he left? Both when he went to Egypt and when he went to the land of the Philistines. Both times he was afraid that someone might kill him on behalf of his, because his wife is beautiful or something along those lines. And so he lies and says, oh, she's really just my sister. Which causes problems, and it's a way that Abraham, who's supposed to be bringing a blessing to the whole world, is actually not bringing a blessing, but curse to the world through him not trusting God, but trying to scheme his own way. I know, this gets kind of weird to think about, because we tend to uh, put people who are in the Bible on such a pedestal that it's like, you can't ever say they made a mistake. And it's like, no, that's, if you read through the Bible the way that it's intended to be read, It is just example after example after example of people who make mistakes with some notable shining examples of times of faith. Abraham, of course, we see has his uh, high moments and his low moments. The times that he has left to go to Egypt and the land of the Philistines have been low moments as he gets afraid and uh, lies about his wife. But enough about Abraham. Let's see what Isaac does. Okay, here we go. Uh, So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Verse 7. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, because he was afraid to say, She is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. This is not just repeating, like following in his father's footsteps. This is following exactly in in his father's footsteps. He's not learning from the mistakes of Abraham. He's repeating the mistakes of Abraham. I hope you're picking up on this. So what happens? When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She's really your wife. Why do you say she's my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. 
So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So what has happened? Again, the same thing. Has, has Isaac brought blessing to this other land? No. In fact, the king now is terrified that if, if we hadn't figured this out, we might have uh, actually brought guilt upon ourselves unwittingly. You would have done this to us, and yet we still would have been guilty. This is not what Isaac is supposed to be bringing to uh, the other nations. That's exactly the same thing that his dad did. He stays in the land, verse 12. Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar where he had settled. Here again, he's now being uh, pushed away and people are filling up wells, which is really not a good move, out of jealousy because of uh, how he's doing in their land. And really, if you think about the filling up the wells, they're stopping up the wells, filling the wells with dirt. What is the strategy here? Either, either he stays and now he's mad at them for doing this, or he leaves and now they don't have water from the wells. I don't know. Doesn't seem to make sense, but I suppose if you look at my life, there's a lot of things I do that don't make sense either. But that's what they do. So Isaac moves away from there, and verse 18 Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died, and he gave them the same names his father had given them, step by step by step. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Esek, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you, and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there, and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me, since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, There ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Early the next morning the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away peacefully. That day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, We found water. Water. He called it Sheba, and to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. All right, that's it. 
I didn't stop all along the way in that last section to point out uh, some of the similarities because they're just all over the place. And again, it's just a step-by-step. With Abraham, he has servants that are quarreling with Abimelech's servants over wells. (laughs) He actually has to strike a peace deal and a treaty with Abimelech (laughs) over the wells. And they name it Beersheba at the time. Step by step, Isaac is just following in his father's footsteps all the way through. And I think uh, one of the reasons that this is so important that we see this is, um, is one, that we see that the promises that God has made to Abraham weren't just to Abraham, but they get reconfirmed to Isaac, who is this child of the blessing. And secondly, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but he gets, uh, God speaks to him twice in this chapter and is promising blessing to him. Once is when he first goes into the land of the Philistines in the time of famine. And it's almost like God is saying, okay, here you go. You are, you have no food to eat where you are. You've gone to this other land. Let me just tell you, you can trust me in this moment too. Not just when you were in the good land, the land flowing with milk and honey that it's described later, although it does keep having famines, but whatever. So at this time, there's a famine, and he goes uh, out of the land and says, it's not just that you can trust me there, you can trust me here too. Don't go to Egypt. Stay here. And actually he says... Um, Stay in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. And then he is, uh, goes on with the promises to the descendants. Okay. That's the first time God speaks to him. And what happens immediately after that? Is Isaac being afraid. Says he, was a, <laughs> he said, she is my sister, because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. You pick up on that? There's no food to eat here. I'm going to go over here. And God says, that's fine. Just remember, over here, you can trust me. And Isaac goes, eh, maybe not really, because he's afraid. We, this is just, should not be a controversial statement. But all statements these days are controversial, I suppose. This should not be a controversial statement. We, as people, do dumb stuff when we're afraid. Agree? Yeah? If, if not, you can fight me about that later. That's fine. Um, we do dumb stuff when we get afraid. Isaac is no different. He gets afraid that somebody's going to kill him, and so... He does the same thing his dad did. Ah, she's my sister. She's not. And here's what's fascinating to me. Maybe you'll find it fascinating as well. This is the pattern we see over and over and over again. Is uh, right after God has come to somebody and made big statements to them, big promises for their future, etc., etc. The very next story, watch for this as you read through your whole Bible. (laughs) that God will come to them, some amazing thing will happen, and the very next thing you see 
is them getting afraid and doing something dumb. Somehow, the person individually or the people as a whole failing to trust in God. And we go through the whole Bible and you see this pattern over and over and over again. And it's easy to kind of look down uh, on people like this and go, I would never do such a thing. Sure we would. You know, look back at your own history. How many times have you done something dumb because you got afraid? Today, (laughs) today's world, there's so much that people are doing out of fear. Some because they're afraid of a virus, some because they're afraid of a vaccine, some because they're afraid of the government, some because they're afraid of anyone and everyone who's telling them anything. And we do dumb stuff. (laughs) And we forget who we are as a people and how we relate to each other because we're reacting out of fear. And we're not trusting. Here's the amazing thing, though. You get to uh, Mark chapter 1. Jesus is baptized. This is what we just read a little bit ago. Jesus is baptized. And God says, uh, a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And it's like, uh-oh. The very next thing that's going to happen, we know the pattern. He's going to fail, right? (laughs) Well, sure enough, at once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by, uh, by Satan. My goodness. That's not what happened to Isaac. He didn't have to face something that severe, but it didn't take that much, did it? To break him. It typically doesn't take very much to break us. And yet with Jesus, tempted by Satan himself for 40 days in the wilderness, and as you read in Matthew and Luke, it gives a uh, fuller account of the whole thing, Jesus doesn't fall. He continues to trust. He continues to respond with faithfulness to the God who has uh, said, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And he continues to bow only to him, living uh, by faith and not by fear or by weakness. God speaks to Isaac again after his weakness. And I think sometimes we have the, um, the understanding that here's the way it works. God comes to you at some point in your life and he says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men or I will bless you richly or you know, whatever uh, that sounds like when you hear it. And then we say, I'm in and I'm going to follow and I'm going to be faithful and the very next thing that happens is our faith is tested and we're challenged and we get afraid, and we repeat the mistakes of those who've gone before us in every generation. And we turn away from God, and we don't trust Him. And then we expect that this is the way it's going to work. That then God is going to come to us again and say, never mind, I'll find somebody else. Right? I have failed. I've let Him down. I turned away. It's over. But I said that one of the patterns that you see throughout the Bible is that 
something amazing will happen and then the people will get afraid and they'll do something dumb, they'll turn away from God. The other part of the pattern, though, is then God returning to them again. And still, that promise to be with them and to continue to work through them and continue to just call them back again. And so, uh, after all of this, verse 23 says, From there he went up to Beersheba. This is after all that had happened. And it says, That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac got afraid and did dumb stuff. Did that mean that God's promises were not going to be fulfilled through him? No. God continues to promise to Isaac to be with him, even when Isaac has shown that he is not going to be faithful in being with God. You following this? Does that have anything to do with us today? <laughs> Connect the dots is pretty, pretty clear and easy. If you know that the whole story of the Bible is the story of God wanting to be with His people, and the breakdown that has occurred because not because God has failed, but because we repeatedly fail, <laughs> and how God is intervening in human history to bring us back. That's what the record is. Sometimes people are like, why, why isn't this in the Bible? Why isn't that in the Bible? The, the Bible is not giving a full and complete history of everything that's happened in the world. We get to hear a little bit about some of Abraham's other kids, but not much, because that's not the story that we're hearing. We're hearing the, uh, the history of how God has been working in this world to bring about the redemption and the rescue and the deliverance of his people, and we see the fulfillment of that in Jesus. That's what it's all been about. And so you go to the beginning of the Bible and you see God with his people in Eden, and you go to the end of the Bible and you see God with his people in the new creation. And you go to the middle of the Bible and you see Jesus as to how this happens. This is why Jesus is the one who is called Emmanuel, God with us. Who at the very end of the uh, Gospel of Matthew, after the Great Commission, go, uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus says after his resurrection. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then he says... And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. This is what it's all been about. And we see this pattern throughout the whole Bible of uh, God continuing to desire to be with his people. And this is why in verse uh, verse 24, God has to remind Isaac of this very simple thing to remember, except when we get afraid. (laughs) Do not be afraid, God says. Why not? Because there's not scary stuff in the world? No, there's scary stuff in the world. It says, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do you remember uh, in the Gospels when you have Jesus with his disciples at various times and they keep getting afraid? Whether it's afraid of uh, Pharisees or the Rome, or the weather, as there is the storm on the sea, and they get afraid. And what does he say to them? You of little faith. 
Because He's there with them. And isn't that the promise? Not that there won't be storms, but that He'll be there. And that if He's there, we don't have to be afraid. This was God's message uh, to Isaac. And that not being afraid, notice, that was dependent uh, it was dependent on God's faithfulness, not Isaac's. It was on God's presence with Isaac, not Isaac's um, <laughs> resolve to not do dumb stuff anymore. We can commit, every one of us today, together, make the commitment to never do anything dumb again. And maybe we should make that commitment. <laughs> but you know what? By tomorrow, I don't know about you, I'll have probably already mess that up. <laughs> but what we are uh, called to remember, and what Scripture reminds us over and over again, is that our hope is not in us always getting everything right. Our hope is in the God who is faithful and does not fail and who has promised to be with us in everything. As we, um, so as we go from here today, maybe we should have a renewed commitment to seek out the, uh, the dumb stuff we just keep doing and to make a change there. If we have been uh, treating other people like we are somehow the arbiters of all truth and knowledge in the world, uh, we have the perfect perspective on everything in the universe. And if they don't agree with our perspective, then they're not even worthy of respect or consideration. If we have been doing that and acting more like we are minions of our favorite media rather than disciples of Jesus, might I recommend that that would be something we could say, okay, that's, I recognize that now. That's probably dumb stuff that we should quit doing. So let's do that. We'll mess it up again. I'm sure we will. But beyond that, I think the message we hear uh, from Genesis 26 is that every generation has to walk with God for themselves. But they don't have to walk with God copying the mistakes of the past. But we can learn from the mistakes of the past. And we can see the way that God has been faithful in the past. <laughs> and we can learn to walk with Him trusting that He is faithful and He will continue to be with us. This is the hope that we have in Jesus that is not just for today, but is for tomorrow. It is for every day from now until we die and it's actually for past the day we die. That He will be with us forever. This is the hope of Jesus. This is the hope of the resurrection. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. But we do thank you for the opportunity to come together, to worship you, to hear from your word, to be reminded of your goodness, to be reminded of your faithfulness, to be reminded uh, that you are merciful and forgiving 
which is good news because we are those who need mercy and who need to be forgiven. Lord, we ask that you would help us to walk with you as you walk with us. That you would remind us of your presence with us wherever we go. That you would continue to shape us into uh, people who reflect your character into this world. Lord, we pray that we would be a blessing to everyone that we come in contact with. Lord, we pray that we would be a people who are known as a people of mercy and forgiveness and grace and compassion. And most of all, as Jesus himself said, that we would be recognized as your people because of the way we love one another. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. We forgive our debtors. Lead us not in temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Mm-hmm.